Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of The Rising Podcast contains references to sexual assault, domestic violence, and may trigger distress to some listeners. In this episode of The Rising Podcast, filmmaker Sandy Sissel speaks with performance artist Annie Sprinkle. When Annie Sprinkle was 18, she was working at the Plaza Cinema when a film called Deep Throat was playing. It was one of the first pornographic films to feature a plot, character development, and cinematic production values. The film was banned, and the filmmakers were brought to trial for the promotion of obscene material. When Annie Sprinkle had to appear in court as a witness, she met and fell in love with Deep Throat's director, Gerard Damiano, and became his mistress. The controversial film takes centre stage in Deep Throat Drive-In, a rising artwork devised by Sandy Sissel, Willow Wyland and James Brennan. Set in a drive-in cinema, Deep Throat Drive-In journeys through Sandy's 40-year career in journalism and film, examines misogyny tropes, the male gaze, and affirms non-binary and gender-diverse bodies in cinema. This conversation between Annie Sprinkle and Sandy Sissel features excerpts from Sandy's film, Chicken Ranch. Are you having a margarita, Annie? I am. Because oh, I'm I, jealous. I, I, I find that I lately, like, it relaxes me. <laughs> you know what so, I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to join you and have a shot of tequila. <laughs> perfect. Well, cheers. Let me get a glass. So um, let me just say, Annie, I have thoroughly enjoyed my last couple of days of everything, Annie. It's been so much fun. And I kind of think of you as a, a voice of pleasure in a troubled time. Thank you, Sandy. And I, I so enjoyed watching your film last night with Beth, my partner, and um you know, looked at your Wikipedia and learned more about your work and your few articles, and I'm so impressed with all you have done. And well, I, I think we both have great admiration for each other, and I, I think we're kind of women of a certain age. Both of us Jewish, both of us moving to New York in 1973. So I think our paths have crossed in more ways than we might have ever thought. Well, it would be very difficult for me to quote prices. I wouldn't know what kind of party you wanted. You see, we have so many different kind of parties. Uh, if you wanted the VIP room, which we have the waterbed, the jacuzzi, the passion chair, which everybody really likes, uh, the movies, or if you just wanted to uh, party in the ladies' room where, you know, you would have your straight lay, your half and half, 69, frappes, and many, many more. Now, um... You would have to negotiate with the lady for price as well as party. You know, like time. 
All right, you want a certain party? How much time do you want with that party? So I wouldn't really know what kind of party you'd want. Uh, your farm chicken ranch. I have so many questions about that. Absolutely. How the heck did you get in there? Did those? Did you like hire the place to let you come and film? And how long did you film for? Well, my partner on the film, Nick Broomfield, and I had decided that we wanted to do a film. So we went and we visited all the different legal brothels in Nevada, of which there are about 30. And given the fact that this is almost 30 years ago, um, most of the brothels wouldn't even let women in. They wouldn't even let me in the door. They would let Nick in the door. So that began to eliminate certain brothels. And then we eventually made our way to the chicken ranch. We walked inside, we were welcomed. And um, actually Nick and I pretended to be a couple. It's not that we were trying to lie or anything, but we just didn't want there to be any kind of controversy whatsoever. Now, I will tell you, honestly, that lie doesn't go very far in the brothel because those women figured out pretty quick that we weren't a couple. <laughs> but um, we were kind of lucky because Walter, the owner of the brothel, ended up having to serve some time in jail. So during the day and some evenings, he was in jail. So we were left in the brothel with our cameras, with Fran, the madame, and we could kind of do what we wanted to do. And now Nick and I were both in our early 30s. We were not that different in age from the women who were in the brothel. So um, we actually made quite good friends with each other. And we became very empathetic to their lives and their situations. I think they became very empathetic to our lives and our situation. And we lived inside there for four months. And you know, Annie, it's very hot in there. They keep it very warm because people don't have their clothes on in the brothel very much. You're right in the middle of the desert. Um, this was pre-AIDS, so nobody was doing safe sex. It was other than the fact that they were taking birth control pills. And um, I'm sorry to say that several of those women have since passed away from AIDS. But um, we, I, I cared very much about them. Nick cared very much about them. Um, I think that in many ways they were very sex positive people, but they were in a position where they worked three weeks on and one week off. They worked for three weeks, then they had their period for one week so they wouldn't work, and then they'd come back and work for three weeks. So even though it was very positive in many ways, they were also still kind of working with a pimp. You know, last week you made almost $2,000. I know that. And this week you're the same height, the you got the same way. color of eyes, you're the same pretty girl as you was last week. And so we have to find out maybe so I can help you and you can help yourself as to why you're not booking this week. I don't know what it is. I don't either. But maybe we are when you were doing this, did, did you uh, ever think about the male gaze or the female gaze? Because this is something fairly new for me to think about. When you started, would you consider it the male gaze when you were doing pornography? 
Well, this is something feminists, probably professors, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There are some professors that are very uptight and, you know, have issues with any kind of sex that's not sure. missionary position. What can I say? Okay. So they started talking about this thing, the male gaze, and how harmful it was. Now, I always didn't like street harassment. When I would walk down the street, men would say things like, nice tits, baby, or grab my ass. You know, in Italy, they used to pinch you and all that. I never liked that street harassment. I was very privileged and lucky as hell. I was never violently raped. Um, I... I was, you know, a middle-class white woman type person, and I was in the sex industry by choice. And I had other options. Not all women do. And they can be poor and struggling or drug addicted or alcoholic or having real struggles and horrible relationships. And I never had any of that, thankfully. Um, I've had bumps in the road and bad days and all that but I was I have to say very privileged very lucky very 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 lucky I really you know that tarot card the fool child I was kind of like that I, I was ignorance was bliss he called me a cunt and he said he could buy just as many cunts as there is as me in this whole fucking world that's exactly what he said. He said, I don't need you here, Mandy. I can buy as many cunts as you. I said, that's right, Walter, because you're the biggest fucking pimp in the whole world. And he says, I wouldn't doubt it. Well, Annie, tell me, when you, um, when you started, how old were you and how did you get involved in the sex business? Uh, I was um, a young hippie that moved to Arizona with my first boyfriend, who was 26. He came up from Panama on his motorcycle. I had an excellent, fabulous first sexual experience with Van, who was darling. He owned a hippie coffee shop. He was a great guy. And I liked sex right away. My first sexual experience was on the beach on the equator in Panama with on mescaline with the full moon the stars and the the ocean waves were full of plankton it was absolutely magical it was oral sex and um, later six months or so later he drove up to LA where I was moved back with my family and my family was cool and we we were lovers for a while longer until I decided I needed to explore more about sex and very quickly ended up in a little massage parlor in Tucson. It was a trailer very much like the Nevada brothel, but smaller, smaller scale. There were three women on a shift. And I, one of my, some woman I knew, young woman my age, 18, worked there and I thought it was just massage. But she, they were busy. They wanted me to come answer the phones. The receptionist didn't show up. So I thought I was just a horny masseuse because they got real busy and they needed someone to give a massage, quote, quote. And I loved it. I liked having sex with total strangers in this amazing 
situation. I started making money, which I, for the first time. And uh, I was very interested in men and their fantasies, and I loved men. And I didn't get along so well with women, but I grew, but I felt comfortable with sex workers. Okay, Jerry, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about the VIP room, okay? Mm -hmm. We have a room, it's called a VIP room, it has mirrors on the ceiling, X-rated movies, a waterbed, a passion chair, drinks on the house, a sauna, a shower, and jacuzzi. How does that sound? Okay. Wonderful? Mm-hmm. Quite expensive also. Like I'm just a, I'm just a poor boy. Oh, I don't believe Just a you. poor truck driver. Well, let me tell you how much. Yeah, tell me. A thousand dollars. Oh, no, I'm not too interested in that. I'm not too interested? No. Okay, well, let me tell you a little bit about what else we have, okay? Okay. Everything else would be in here, mm -hmm. okay? We have a half and half, which is a little bit of French and intercourse afterwards. Mm -hmm. Then we have a straight lay or a striped French. We have a 69. We have a cream de menthe French. We have a hot oil massage, a bubble bath. Which would you like? You can combine or just pick one. Okay, what are the prices? The problem with things that we shot back in the 70s is that a lot of times it was shot on film, and if the negative wasn't saved and it was only saved on video, then the video is in such bad shape now that it's really difficult to have the archive, which is very, very sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. There's no adult film uh, refrigerator where yeah. people preserve these old films. It's really tragic. Can I ask you, because we're very curious about your experience working in a movie theater in Tucson. Can you tell us about your job that you got there? Yeah, just before I got a job in a brothel, a massage parlor in Tucson, I worked for about three months in a movie theater where Deep Throat was playing. That was my... Did you see it? I did, and I'd never seen a pornographic movie before. I never imagined that people actually had sex on film because I thought this was something private. I was absolutely shocked. And I was already interested in sex and... <laughs> I couldn't believe Linda Lovelace. I fell in love with her. She was amazing. I fell in love with Harry Reams, who was just hilarious. And so I sold popcorn and sold tickets. And it was a 24-hour theater. There were lines around the blocks from the University of Arizona people to the dirty old men kind of guys to the students. Everybody was showing up for this film. They were raking in the dough. Eventually, it was shut down by the state police of Arizona, and there was a trial, and that's where I met Gerard Damiano. They called me as a witness. And what were you, what kind of questions did they ask you? Oh, did I see anybody pick up the film at the airport? Who was my boss? Um, it was really about interstate trafficking of pornography at that point, and and they had to decide if Deep Throat was illegal or not. And uh, so that was a big trial. And if Deep Throat had lost, uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have had the 
the boom of pornography that we did in the 70s and the theaters would not have emerged. Sure. So, it, by the way, I want to say a thank you for being a professor. Uh, I have so much respect for educators and professors. Uh, with Deep Throat, for example, if it wasn't for professors, doing the real research, <laughs> that fake research that the right-wing uh, religious fanatic, censorist feminists uh, tried to shut it all down, freedom of expression, if it wasn't for professors, I don't think pornography would have become legal, you know, because right. the, the claims against pornography were so outrageous like it leads to rape and murder every time someone watches right. it right. and uh or anybody watches a porn film they become violent it just wasn't true oh, no. you never know. we don't like to be treated disrespectful if you want to treat us disrespectful you can get up and you can head out the door <laughs> Hey, that, that's why I'm here as soon as my buddy comes out your buddy you is don't have to wait for my buddy okay all right let's call hey i didn't go for your price so we'll leave it at that, all right? All right. Why yeah. don't you um, just kind of keep quiet and we won't give you a hard time, okay? Because otherwise we'll make you stay outside and wait for your friend. <laughs> I'll wait here, it don't matter. No, it does matter. Uh, somebody on the radio called me a fat Jewish New Yorker and Hitler would know what to do with me, with people like her. Uh, and boy, did he get in trouble in the Jewish Defense League, leapt to my defense and got the guy fired. I, I wasn't, I was mostly offended by the New Yorker part, you know, that kind of was like, <laughs> what? How dare you? Can, can I ask you what it was like when you first came to New York after seeing uh, Deep Throat and and how you got to New York and what it was like in those days in Times Square in the early 70s? So when I was 18 and got to New York City, I Damiano brought me in to be his mistress. He was married, but I didn't know his wife. I didn't know his kids. And he was a pornographer. So I thought, okay, this is all right. So this was not a Lolita adventure at all? No, we were friends, and I was so interested in filmmaking and so interested in sex. Of course I'm going to end up in porn. And I also learned from the trial that sex is political, and you know that. Yes. Sex is incredibly political in so many ways, and we thought porn and Hollywood films were going to merge. And Hollywood films would become pornographic, and then uh, porn movies would become more like Hollywood movies, but it didn't go that way. It went the complete opposite. Porn became more just wall-to-wall -wall sex, and Hollywood didn't take to hardcore right. <laughs> sex right. scenes very much, a, a few examples. But um, New York in the 70s and 80s was not entirely a safe place. I mean, yeah. but in, in, I mean, now it's kind of a playground of the rich. But in those days, New York was even a bit seedy, which actually I like. I kind of miss that part of New York at this point. Um, have you seen The Deuce from HBO's I The Deuce? I have seen The Deuce. Do you know that James Franco was my student 
at NYU. Oh my God, fabulous! I bet you have a lot of uh, amazing students now uh, up there. Yeah, there were a lot of yeah. amazing ones. There's a lot of amazing students. Well, how similar was Times Square for you in those days to the way it's portrayed in the Deuce? I spent a lot of time in Times Square with Damiano and making porn. That was the film district. Yeah, that's where the film bu dis building was, and you know that's where you did your sound mix and you had your screenings for the press, and it was where all the filmmaking happened, including the porn film world, which you know in those days the New York Times ran ads for the uh, the porn movies. You don't have that now. So uh, I loved Times Square. I loved it. I was I adored it. It was sexy, it was fun, it was exciting. I felt safe there. I could walk down 42nd Street and some guy say, oh, I saw your magazine spread when I was in prison. Annie, you rock. And I worked at the live sex show in on, uh, 42nd Street. I mean, Times Square was amazing. There was It was an adult sex playground and it was relatively pretty safe and it was fun and everyone was having adventures. I would take people for tours there and hung out there a lot. And I would do five shows a day, say at Showworld Center. And I had a lot of downtime in between and I'd go into church or I'd go to a movie or uh, did all kinds of hanging out down there. There were burlesque, the dance halls. It's all gone now. Do you know the two great jokes about that, which I would like to share with Australia? What's the difference between erotica and pornography? What? In erotica, you use a feather, and in pornography, you use the whole chicken. <laughs> and the other one is, what's the difference between erotica and pornography? The lighting. <laughs> <laughs> that I can understand. Tell me about um, women against pornography and not a love story, and how you became a pro-sex film uh, feminist. Can you explain what that means? When I was eighteen, right? So I was making porn films. I was interested in film, interested in sex, and around the I don't know at some point the anti-porn feminists started protesting and saying porn was harmful to women and porn creates violence and they were in Times Square holding signs and actually they were on the corner showing women's I mean it was so in your face like the most violent awful affronting people with just like murderous awful imagery which really came from horror films and who knows what really bad you know scary movies um so they started giving tours of showworld center where i was doing live sex shows and burlesque and the anti-porn feminists 
started playing really dirty. And this term pro-sex feminist did not exist. Uh, and sex positive feminist became a term and we're like, okay, so I can be a feminist and I can be pro-sex, pro-feminist, pro-porn. Uh, my, I've always said the answer to really bad porn is to make better porn. So I was part of just at the right time and place where we needed feminist pornography and me and some friends set out to make some. And what is that? It's pornography made by feminists, which could also be by men. By the way, there's plenty of great male feminists and trans male feminists. And it's it was a very exciting time exploring the difference between erotica and pornography. Um, because I, I was one of the few out sex workers. Uh, uh, porn, women in porn didn't, a lot of them were not out. They had double lives because there was no freaking internet. You could do porn movies and your family wouldn't find out. It, it, can people learn how to deep throat? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of practice, you know. I think I could. I unlearned it. <laughs> I think you can learn it and unlearn it. Uh, <laughs> um, you have to be enthusiastic. You have to want it, you know. And if someone holds your head down, slap them, you know. But if you want it, you can do it. You know, it's all about desire and passion and one person's pleasure is another person's worst nightmare and vice versa so to each their own The Rising Podcast is created by Litmus Media on the land of the Bunurung and the Wurundjeri people it's produced by me, Mahmoud Fazal the associate producer and editor is Eugene Yang you can listen at litmus.media or wherever you get your podcasts. If anything from this episode has triggered distress, please call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732 for confidential support. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.